Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of October 6th through the 8th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. This episode is probably going to be hopefully a faster and shorter one uh, because in addition to being released late on a Wednesday this week instead of my usual Tuesday, I've just been super busy this week with work and on other projects, so we'll just hop straight into those domestic numbers, shall we? The big question this week was how well would Eternals, the 26th entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, end up doing? Uh, head producer Kevin Feige has been hyping it up uh, with the hopes it'll get some Oscar buzz, uh, which, given the director of the most recent is is the winner of the of the of the most recent Best Picture and Best Director Oscars, Chloe Zhao, um, doesn't seem all that far fetched. Um, you know, however, you know there are reasons going into the weekend that this was called into the question. Uh, crit- initial critics reviews post embargo were mixed to say the least. Uh, as of recording this episode, with over 300 reviews, it is the lowest-rated MCU film on Rotten Tomatoes at 46%, the lowest score, in fact, in the universe. Um, and you know that that put a damper on pre-sales going into the weekend that had started off pretty strong. Based on pre-sales, it suggested perhaps a 80 million opening weekend. Um, you know, the the this would be in the ballpark for the first two MCU films open this summer: uh, 75 million for Shang-Chi and 80 million for Black Widow. Uh, they were a bit behind the Sony Marvel collaboration of Venom: Let There Be Carnage. However, Disney's official estimate actually was at 75 million. And after the weekend settled, you know, the numbers turned up that it actually came below that. Uh, Eternals made $71 million for the three-day weekend in 4,090 theaters, per the average of $17,432. So what happened here exactly? Well, despite what I said last week about trying to see it this weekend, uh, friends came into town from, from that I hadn't seen in about two years because of the pandemic. So that got rescheduled. Um, you know, I do I do have this coming Thursday off for Veterans Day, so I'm going to planning on seeing uh, it then. Uh, but I can't really speak about my thoughts on why you know maybe the story didn't didn't pan out uh, and connect with people. Uh, what I can speak to though are the reviews, and you know the reviews that, that I've seen. You know, without getting in, you know without going too deep into them to try to avoid spoilers, seems to be a mix of you know. The film being a little bit too long, you know, I think something over two and a half hours long, uh, too many characters to introduce, you know, 10 new Eternals uh, versus the five Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, the Eternals were even more obscure characters within the comic books. And it also leans into Chloe Zhao's art house sensibilities, um, but it doesn't fully commit to that formula, which, you know, tries to straddle that line, which I think that sense of not really committing fully to either art house or fully to the traditional Marvel formula, um, you know, might have might have come off as, as weak-willed happening. In, in the end. Uh, that said, Rotten Tomatoes' score from verified audiences is at 80%, which is generally positive, um, down from 86% where it started off the weekend. That being said, that is still 17th out of 26 for all MCU films, so in the bottom half. Uh, Cinema score was a B, which again is the lowest of any MCU film to date. Uh, the previous lowest was a B plus for the first Thor film. Now, mind you, Cinema scores, the way that they do it is that they go ev- they in about, I think, 25 different cities or so. Um, I, uh, you know, the cinema score survey takers go and they they interview, they basically, um, you know, ask people their opinion on the film from, you know, an A to an F score, and they kind of aggregate that that that, that number. Um, and this happens on Friday night. So, you know, while not perhaps the most diehard of Marvel fans, you know, who see it, you know, previews on Thursday, um, you know, they still get the fans who are definitely wanting to see it earlier in the weekend as opposed to, you know, waiting to see how the reviews are to see it later in the weekend. So, you know, if the if these are the, you know, very, very uh, eager fans, um, and it's still getting a B, which is, you know, again, relative for a comic book film, not that great. Um, you know, th- that kind of speaks, I think, to the ability of this film to connect with audiences. 
I saw another comment on Reddit actually comparing uh, to other comic book films, and you know this one comes below every DC film except for Batman vs Superman, which also got a B. Lower than all the Sony Spider-Man films, lower than all the Fox X-Men films aside from Dark Phoenix and New Mutants, which technically didn't get a cinema score due to being releasing in the pandemic. Um, and there are other you know comic book B cinema score films such as Catwoman, Elektra, and Green Lantern. Definitely not what you would have expected out of Chloe Zhao. Now, looking at the day and day over day drops, you know, from Thursday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday, it started with 9.5 million in previews, which roll into about 30.8 million on Saturday, on Friday. So, you know, from that 30.8 number, it dropped 22% to about 24 million, um, and then a 32% drop to Sunday for 16 million. Now, the two films this year that are Marvel are in a bit weird to be able to compare. Sanchi had the three day weekend over Labor Day, so the Sunday drop was relatively small in comparison. And then Black Widow, having day and date release on Disney+, Plus, meant its Friday to Saturday drop was much higher uh, than what you would have expected. So, no, let's go back to some films pre-pandemic, to a non-crossover film such as Endgame and non-holiday weekend films. Uh, we have Captain Marvel as a comparison point. It has stronger Saturday and Sunday drops, 14% and 27% respectively. Again, Eternals was 22% and 32%. Uh, Black, Wid- Black Panther's drops were sub-15% both days, which is kind of ridiculous, but again, Black Panther is a bit of an anomaly. Um, the similarly auteur-driven film, you know, uh, Thor Ragnarok by Taika Waititi, um, had a November release also, and that dropped 5% and 27% respectively from Friday to Saturday and Saturday to Sunday. Again, in comparison to 22 and 32%. So, you know, that's definitely not looking favorable here. And then the similarly D-list ensemble film Guardians of the Galaxy back in, you know, 20, uh, 2014 when it released had 18% drops both days. And the sequel had 9% and 24% respectively. So again, this film basically didn't resonate with general audiences or even, you know, Marvel fan audiences um, to the degree of past Marvel films. Personally, I also think it may have been a case of mismatched expectations in marketing. For comparisons, you know, even other Asian Americans I know of were skeptical that a relative no-name hero like Sang Chi would be able would be an enjoyable watch, but they were pleasantly surprised, leading to good word of mouth. On the other hand, Marvel and Feige specifically has really been putting their eggs marketing this film as, you know, the next level of the MCU, the revolutionary chapter, and you know, it probably didn't meet that level of of being on that elevated pedestal that they had put it on. And so, you know, I think People being overpromised and un- and having it underdeliver makes them feel worse about the film than probably they actually do. Um, I can sympathize, you know, well as much as you can sympathize with a giant mega conglomeration that you know what it uh, that if you need to constantly be underpromising and overdelivering every time, it's hard to keep that that up. Um, you know, but you know, it seems that Eternals was the, again that flip of overpromising and underdelivering. Now that said, the fact that Eternals was still able to nab the fourth highest opening of the year so far, I think goes to show that the power of the Marvel brand, at least in having their captured core fan base, willing to turn out for pretty much anything they put at this point. Um, no Way Home is also as, almost assuredly going to be the top opening weekend this year with all the hype. So assuming you know something like you know uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife doesn't pop off you know unexpectedly, it'll be all Marvel films to the top five openings domestically this year. 
The real test for Eternals will, of course, as always, be next week. It may have an exclusive theatrical window after Sanctuary's success, as all do the rest of the Disney films, but there is a very real possibility that mediocre reviews um, will lead to having as big a drop as Black Widow next weekend, which was, I believe, in the 60s or so. Maybe not as high as 68% as Black Widow, but maybe in the low 60s, 63 or so. Uh, in any case, though, I'm sorry Disney and Feige and Zhao are disappointed, but I don't think they're too torn up about it. Um, you know, rumors have it that Chloe Zhao is going to is coming on board to direct uh, the upcoming Star Wars project that Kevin Feige is producing. And you know, it's not as though they're going to halt the entire MCU machine at this point. It may be a while till we see these various Eternals characters headlining their own film. They may show up maybe in Disney Plus projects or in the backgrounds or or as as showing up in in other uh, MCU lead characters. But um, I think the next seven MCU films through 2023 are all characters who we've already had their origin story for and we should be familiar with. So, you know, it's going to be a while till we have another experimentation with brand new characters. And, you know, that being said, one out of 26 being a failure, I think is a much better fail rate than whatever DC's fail rate is at this point, which I would say is at least 50-50, if not higher. Uh, anyway, with 71% this weekend, uh, you know, a 2x multiplier would put Eternals out to about $142 million. A 2.5x multiplier would put it closer to $177.5 million, which seems kind of where the consensus, you know, top end of this film ends up being. 3x multiplier is probably unlikely to, at this point uh, just because of the poor word of mouth. Um, you know, that $177.5 million total would put it as the third lowest grossing MCU film and fourth, again, on the top domestic uh, films for the year, um, at least of those released thus far. Uh, quickly looking at international numbers for The Eternals, it grossed $90 million abroad for a total of $161 million for the weekend in 46 markets, the second highest of the pandemic era behind F9, though F9 does have the help of China, which Eternals won't have, um, and I also may be missing a few China-only releases in that statistic. Um, so let's just say you know the highest uh, international opening for a Hollywood film. Uh, overall, it's a pacing ahead of Shang-Chi in international markets by about 26%, and Black Widow by about 8% in like-for-like like markets. Uh, some notable markets, France had to be behind Black Widow but ahead of Shang-Chi opening day. Uh, reportedly, reviews in, in France are higher for the film at about 72% versus what we have here in the States. Uh, you know, I've heard you know, another way this film described kind of like Dune and given the way that you know, the, the, the French really latched onto Dune in terms of you know, the, the, the way the dialogue and the way it's all set up, I think that, that's a, that's, that kind of explains that. Uh, in Korea, that's actually the best international market for the for the film. Um, it was the highest opening weekend for a non-local film post-pandemic to date, probably bolstered by Korean actor Don Lee appearing in the film, and I think BTS having a song in there as well. Uh, generally, it was either the number one film, it was probably the number one film across most, if not all, markets. Now, there was some discussion online about Disney, you know, claiming they would not be censoring the film of specifically LGBT scenes for more conservative countries such as Saudi Arabia and Qatar, where it may not get released. Um, you know, and and you know that said, that said, I have seen reports that some gay scenes were cut in uh, in other Middle Eastern countries, uh, Malaysia and Indonesia as well. But the gay characters were still present. I think that suggests perhaps that some countries. Countries uh, were requesting the characters be removed entirely, um, which I think, given the narrative structure of the film, from what I've heard, makes would, wouldn't be entirely.
entirely possible. I also have heard reports that you know the film treat that the, the, the film treats gods and religions and deities in a particular way that may run counter to kind of the beliefs of some of these countries and, and hence the, the censorship requests. And then in addition, I think some other markets uh, have cut out all forms of intimacy, uh, both homo and heterosexual. Uh, notable since this is one of the first, this is the first, I believe, Marvel film with a sex scene, uh, unless you count Iron Man 1. Uh, overall, um, you know, still it made about uh, uh, looking at where this film could end up. About four hundred million might be doable without China, though. I would personally peg it at somewhere close to the Black Widow's level of about three eighty million or so. Uh, with the theatrical revenue splits and so on, it should be able to get close to, if not break even, with its two hundred million budget. Though I don't think it'll do much more than that. Now, one thing that is helping, though, Disney partnered with a number of brands for about a hundred million dollars worth of marketing, which should help Disney with their accounting. Now, the rest of the top five isn't too much, so we'll just speed through those. Uh, Dune dropped 49% into second place uh, to $7.8 million in 3,546 theaters, per theater average of 2,197. Week three domestic total is, is $84, sorry, $84 million, international total $246, putting it at $330 million lifetime, crossing that $300 million milestone. Notably, it lost IMAX this week domestically to Eternals, um, but it, it still kept its drop sub 50%, which I think given that there has been apparently online buzz sustained for Dune even after its initial release, bodes well for the film and the franchise. Word is also that it'll actually have a encore IMAX release December 3rd, which I believe there aren't any actual major releases coming out that weekend. So, you know, the fact that it's getting, uh, you know, its best format back, um, I believe opening weekend was possible for about um, anywhere from a quarter to a third of total revenue, um, should boost the Dune up further. So get the 350 million worldwide at this point. In third place, No Time to Die dropped 22% to $6 million in 3,007 theaters, per theater average of $2,008. Week 5 domestic total of $143 million, international total now at $524 million, putting it at $667 million lifetime. Should get to that $150 million mark domestically, um, though it will be available on VOD starting next week, so I think it's the last chance to really do so. Uh, $700 million worldwide should also be possible at this point. Uh, at number four, Venom Let There Be Carnage dropped 22% to $4.4 million in 2,640 theaters, per theater average of $1,691. Week six total, $197 million domestically. International, $227 million, $424 million lifetime, crossing the $400 million mark. In number five, animated film Ron's Gone Wrong lost about a quarter of its theaters down to 2,650, but amazingly only dropped 5% despite that loss um, versus last weekend, you know, down to only 3.5 million this weekend for a per theater average of $1,359, week three domestic gross of, of $17.5 million. Abroad, it's made at $28.8 million for a lifetime total of $46.6 million. Modest success, I think, uh, though it's still, I believe, a ways away from a presumed $75 million budget for animated film. So it may be cheaper. We don't have any foreign reports on that yet. Uh, perfa- perhaps the fact, I think, that kids now aged 5 and up in the United States are now eligible for the vaccine, including Bitburg, apparently, who is canonically forever 6 years old. Um, anyway, kids can now get the vaccine. I think that's going to definitely help not only with Ron's Gone Wrong in the coming weeks, but also in content heading into Thanksgiving holiday in a couple of weekends. 
Now, outside the top five, there were some other quick, interesting stories here. Uh, French Dispatch at number six dropped only 1% as it expanded into another 417 theaters, total of two of um, per, for a total of 1,205 total, 1,205 total, yes, uh, made $2.5 million per theater average of 12, uh, 2,144, thus far 8.7 domestic, 10.9 abroad for 19.6 worldwide. Uh, Neon released a new art house film, Spencer, in 966 theaters, um, you know, starring Kristen Stewart as the titular Princess Diana. Bit of a disappointment. I think, it, you know, French Dispatch definitely has had the best release thus far of the art house films, starting with that very small limited, uh, you know, less than 50 theaters before expanding out slowly week over week. Starting out at, at nearly 1,000 theaters off the bat, I don't think it's really a viable strategy at this point. Made only $2.1 million for a per theater average of 2,113. Still, uh, Kristen Stewart is... Is, I think the current leads to be nominated and potentially win Best Actress at the Oscars, so I think the film may still be worth it. Uh, last night in Soho, meanwhile, dropped 57% in its second weekend. Not great. Uh, last week's number two film, My Hero Academia Part 3, of course, dropped hard in its as its niece anime market, you know, who all saw it the first weekend. 74% drop, but still has made about $9.7 million to date. Uh, we have another week or so, I think, in its run to try and beat the last film's total of $13.5 million. Sanxi is now one sub one million dollars week of uh, you know each week, but also only about two million dollars or so from crossing the final threshold of two twenty five million domestically. So far, it sits at four eighteen million worldwide. And then the limited per theater average release of the week that won was Hive, a film from Zeitgeist Films that ran in only one theater but made $13,755. This one was a favorite at Sundance and is uh, Kosovo's entry to the Oscars this year. Um, we also had Red Notice, Netflix's action film starring The Rock, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds having a limited theatrical release, though they are not releasing numbers for that. Also, somehow, Dear Evan Hansen, after like five weeks of having 60 to 75% drops every week, somehow in week seven decided to go three go up 3% versus last week for a total of $30,000 worldwide, per the average of $137. Uh, overall, box office leads to weekend to total $108 million compared to 2019 when we had four films opening this week, uh, Midway, Doctor Sleep, Playing With Fire, and Last Christmas, totaling $121 million, so uh, only about 10% behind 2019, reportedly the second the smallest delta between 2019 and 2021 thus far, Black Widow's weekend being the closest at about 6% away. Uh, this coming weekend, we have the family-friendly film Clifford, the Big Red Dog, opening from Paramount, which apparently had stellar reviews at CinemaCon, so it could potentially be a surprise um, and open above its 9 to 14 million forecast from box office pros. We also have Oscar favorite Belfast from Kenneth Branagh set to open as well, courtesy of Focus Features. Not sure how many theaters that's going to be in. Skipping straight to China, I don't have that much in terms of international news aside from, from the internal stuff. Um, you know, some Indian films opened, you know, over the wall. I don't have firm numbers for, and France reportedly is getting the thousandth episode of the One Piece anime in a few weeks. Um, and, you know, in, in China, you know, this week saw the release of Paramount's ill-fated Snake Eyes. And it was just as ill-fated over there. It didn't even crack the top five, actually, making only $1.5 million over the weekend. Reportedly, it has a 5.8 on Maoyan, the worst score post-pandemic for a Hollywood film thus far. 
Uh, in China, the number one is a repeat for No Time to Die, making $11.3 million total locally up to $49.2 million. Uh, number two, we have a cost of celebration. Uh, Battle for Lake Changjin in its extended run added $8.7 million to its total, now clocking in at $875 million lifetime. Um, depending on the source you look, the one that I was looking at saw that you know, it is now the highest grossing film in China of all time, beating out Wolf Warriors 2 at $870 million US dollars. So congratulations to Battle of Lake Changjin. Uh, number three for the weekend is a local romance, The Curious Tale of Mr. Guo, uh, opening to $3.6 million. Fourth place is a re-release of the classic 1983 animated film Legend of the Sealed Book, which grossed $2.3 million. Uh, and then Dune wraps up its run in China at fifth place at $2.1 million to add to $36.8 million total in the region. Overall, China is looking at about 14% of closures uh, you know, in theaters due to COVID outbreaks with an estimated impact of about 9% of the box office market as a whole. And the other big news out of China is that No Way Home is the first MCU film to be cleared for release in China by the censorship and film boards after Eternals, Shang-Chi, and Black Widow did not get releases this year. Um, Venom, uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage uh, does not yet have a date, but should maybe, not, if not this week, maybe, in, maybe next week, um, potentially ha- be opening in China as well. Also not China, but apparently Japan is getting Venom Let It Be Carnage um, in December uh, and then No Way Home coming in January, which definitely sucks for, I believe, the, uh, the Japanese fans over out there. Anyway, looking beyond the numbers, we have a couple of miscellaneous headlines, so I'll just go through the rapid fire. Uh, movie theaters in LA, not the city, not the county, now require proof of vaccination to see movies. Honestly, it's not impacted too much given the way that uh, New York hasn't really been impacted by these vaccine requirements. Um, if anything, it might increase attendance by you know vaccine hes- by vaccinated people who are afraid of the vaccine hesitant. Uh, movie date wise, it looks like Patty Jenkins' uh, Star Wars film Rogue Squadron has been delayed reportedly due to production issues combined with her upcoming schedule. Rumor, it's not removed from production schedule, just delayed. Uh, rumors are that Disney will be filling in that slot with a, uh, an Old Republic movie in development. Um, not confirmed yet, but that is scheduled, but um, it would take uh, Rogue Squadron's place uh, December 2023. Similarly, Leticia Wright, presumably the lead of Black Panther 2, apparently was injured on set during production and that has been paused for now, though allegedly it will not delay the film's release. As we reported a couple of weeks back, uh, all the MCU films have been pushed back you know, a couple of months. Now, on the flip side, we did get confirmation that Paw Patrol 2 is a go, set to come out October 13th, 2023. Uh, we're also hearing that Peter Dinklage-led astronaut contender Serrano is set to come out a little bit earlier this year for its qualifying run in LA December 14th instead of the 31st before going limited in LA and then wide in February to better position itself to coincide with Oscar voting season. Now, AMC is apparently partnering with Disney to celebrate Disney Plus Day this weekend by running $5 surprise movies at 200 locations worldwide. Surprise as in you don't know what the movie is until it starts. Also, apparently AMC is going to be selling its popcorn at shopping malls and supermarkets. Uh, we got a somewhat bizarre Instagram post from Vin Diesel asking Dwayne Johnson to return to the mainline Fast and Furious franchise for its 10th entry. Not sure how it came to this point that he's resorting to social media callouts or if it's all a marketing stunt, um, especially calling him Little Brother. That was just super weird. The reason I bring it up is, you know, obviously Vin, uh, The Rock coming back for Fast and Furious 10 would definitely be a huge box office draw for that franchise. 
Uh, there was news probably due to the publicity tour for the upcoming film uh, King Richard that when Warner switched the day and the, the switched the day and date last year, star Will Smith may have gotten a payday to compensate for the you know now reduced back end deals. But it looks like not everyone on set did. But Will Smith, you know, the Fresh Prince, apparently paid them out of his own pocket. Um, again, relevant for this podcast because you know that's how money how people make money from movies. Uh, interestingly, a poll from Rotten Tomatoes suggests that the upcoming release Scott film, House of Gucci, is in fact the most anticipated film of November, beating out Eternals and Ghostbusters Afterlife as well as King Richard. Uh, we'll see if that translates to House of Gucci doing better than his other film this year, Last Duel. Uh, theater group Marcus Corp uh, posted a profit for the first, first time since COVID. They represent about 1,000 screens and 90 locations in 17 states. And reportedly, before the Mario movie has even come out, uh, apparently Illumination is working on another uh, Nintendo Cinematic Universe film starring Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Insert some joke here about Garfield and Chris Pratt and memes for the clickbait. Um, I also guess if we're doing clickbait, you know, uh, there's also a petition to ban James Corden from John M. 2's Wicked Adaptation, which will start filming next year with Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo as the two lead witches. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe Illumination will go back and, and, and maybe Chris Pat will do Alvin and the Chipmunk movie. Reportedly, the owner of the franchise is looking to sell to potential buyers, including Viacom CBNs, to the tune of about $300 million total. For context, Roald Dahl's catalog cost Netflix about $700 million. These films actually are, wild, are pretty profitable, actually, when I looked at the numbers. The most recent film making uh, $249 million off of a $90 million budget back in 2015. And then finally, in streaming news, Discovery, who is acquiring Warner and HBO, apparently brought on former Disney exec and TikTok head Kevin Mayer to consult. Uh, Dune also apparently helped HBO Max by boosting daily active users 13% week over week when it came out, again an indicator for why Part 2 got greenlit so quickly. That's all the headlines. Like I said, no internals review this week. We'll probably have that next week. Um, but too many reviews of what I've been watching. Uh, first, I had seen bits and pieces of the original Ghostbusters film here and there, but in anticipation for Ghostbusters Afterlife coming out in a few weeks, I sat down with the wife to watch it in full. Definitely a fun film through and through. It does lack a bit of that blockbuster oomph, I would say, that maybe Jurassic Park might have had, but I can see how it was groundbreaking and a cultural phenomenon at the time. Not sure how, you know, it would do by itself today, but you know, I think if the sequel has the same level of heart and a little bit tighter screenwriting, um, the sequel could you know do just as well, if not better. Uh, I am planning on seeing Ghostbusters two later this week, uh, though definitely not the twenty sixteen remake. Overall, though, I gave uh, the original Ghostbusters four out of five ghosts I ain't scared of. And then speaking of sequels, we also watched Army of Thieves, the sequel to Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead movie that came out earlier this year on Netflix, this time focusing on the German lockpicker uh, whose actor also actually directed the film. Personally, I felt a little bit too long for its length, and I think the inspector the inspector character they had didn't really do enough and was kind of like dead weight in the, in the script, even as a plot device. Um, but I think the heist movement moments were really great, and the comedy of the main actor made it really enjoyable. Wasn't really sure about the romance either, but hey, you know, it's, it's a romance heist film which how many of those do you see anyway overall I gave this two cracked safes out of five 
And with that, that's a wrap for this episode. Uh, Super ideas for what I should cover via email, boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find our show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe or leave a review or at the very least tell a friend if any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon that lets me make not only this show but all the other podcasts I work on. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from dnumbers.com. Intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. His stuff at incompetent.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. Till next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, my watch goes on. Thank you.